Welcome everyone. Good to be with you tonight. You can probably hear from my voice, I'm not, uh, not 100%. Do well to stay clear of me later on. I, um, Stu and Roz didn't know that when they sat close to me before, and it's too late now. Um, but uh, yeah, and apologies for Bron. She, we, we've kind of had the flu the last, last few days. About Friday morning, I looked at the weekend schedule and I thought, oh Lord, I, I really, it, it just comes down to about three things. If you can give me just two hours, you and some paracetamol and some other legal drugs can get me through two hours just to get our youth pastor married and off on his honeymoon. He's not here today, actually. Um, if we can do it, two hours for that, two hours on Sunday morning and two hours tonight, we're good. So, um, so far, two out of three. We'll see if we get, get further, hey? Um, <laughs> Brett, Brett was kind before. He just says, you know, poor Stew, he's on an iron lung there. He'll, he'll give it his last, even if he falls over. Just, ban, don't worry, roll him off the stage. We keep going. You know, so <laughs> about as much compassion there as Amber was showing BJ with his shoulder. Um, but it doesn't it feel like... Um, doesn't it feel like there's been about a month packed into the last week? We were here just last Sunday night, um, hot chocolate and hot topics. Hey, wasn't that good? Didn't that answer absolutely every question you've ever had about six-day creation? Like, like, is there anything else to know now? Uh, actually, studying theology is really about this. It's not about answering questions. It's about discovering how many questions there are to answer. Um, and, um, you know, I, I feel like that was last Sunday night, wasn't it? So many more questions now. Hey, did you really want to open up that can of worms? I got a word for you. I actually, it's a new theological term. I came up with it. And uh, a, a bag of smarties for anyone who can, who can nut it out. But um, to understand the genre of Genesis, and particularly this whole, whole thing of six-day creation, you, you have to understand um, a, a particular... Uh, literary device called a chronopomorphism. A chronopomorphism. Bag of smarties for anyone who comes up with the answer to that. Um, but that's just to help you out as well. See, if you did have any questions remaining, there you go. There you go. It all comes down to a chronopomorphism. You heard it from your pastor. And he made up the word. Um, and then... As the week churned along, amazing wedding yesterday. Wasn't that special? And we're still benefiting from the, from the lights um, that uh, are just gracing, gracing our roof here. And a big thank you. Uh, so many things to celebrate and so many things to well, just really appreciate. But one of them was the amazing way that, that everybody kind of pitched in the transformation that took place between the ceremony and then the reception here was amazing. People were stacking chairs, and very soon it really did look like a reception hall. Um, and uh, I, I had to go off early because I was in my two-hour allotments. But um, um, I did walk in this morning thinking, I wonder what it will look like. And it was, it was amazing. So obviously, I think there were a few very, very dedicated souls um, here to about 1 a.m. I heard. Blair, who is off to Spain? No, no, you ditched. You, you, yeah, he left early. <laughs> Quarter past 12. Ah, left Sky here. Um, and, um, so, but it was a great, um, great day yesterday, and, and today's a great day too. I have perhaps, I, I don't know about you, but um, if, 
if there was just one thing, one topic that, that you were going to preach on, you'd be, you'd be hard pushed to go past today's topic. That is why drugs or no drugs, I was going to be here tonight. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> I once went to a conference. Um, it was for pastors, church church-related matters, and, and the speaker, I remember he was talking from a different passage, actually, but he, but he said, if there is a silver bullet for the church, this is probably it. And now I just remembered, I remember the passage you're speaking on, and, and I agree with him, it's, it's an excellent passage, but, but I picked up on that little idiom, a silver, a silver bullet, and it comes, I guess, from um, that understanding that that mythological creature we call a vampire um, well, you need something. He, that, that, is a, that is a really vicious enemy, if you believe it. That is a really vicious enemy. And you need something special if you are going to take down a vampire. I mean, an ordinary bullet's not going to do it. You're going to need a silver bullet, which actually strikes me as a bit odd. I'm, I'm a metallurgist, but isn't silver kind of a... It's, it's the hardest of metals, is it? Is that, so so does it has a parabellum technique where it kind of expands as it goes in and so it does massive damage to the vampire? Maybe that's that. I don't know. I've never understood these things. I don't watch vampire shows. But anyway, a silver bullet will take care of your vampires, and some of you know that. And, and so I guess the idiom is that a silver bullet is a special tool for dealing with a special situation. What's the silver bullet for the church? When this happens... Well, this passage, you go to this passage. When this happens, it's all right. Go back to this passage. When this happens, cool. Come back to the passage that we're going to look at tonight. When that happens, it's all right. Come back to this passage. This is the one. This is the silver bullet. This is the thing that I believe holds the church firm through any and every attack and any and every age. So, that introduction, turn with me to Mark um, chapter 12, and we're going to read a little passage here, you'll know it, the title says the greatest commandment, but I want us to explore it together afresh like we've never heard it before. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. I'm going to read it in, in just a moment. This is the last of a series of questions that have been asked of Jesus as he's been in the temple, temple area teaching. It's the last question. And unlike the others where it seems that the aim was to trip Jesus up in his words, this one seems a little bit different. This one actually seems to have a note of genuineness to it. It's a teacher of the law. We don't know Pharisee or Sadducee. They both had their teachers. But... But here is the last question, and it seems to be genuine in nature. Verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, 
with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. It would seem from this passage that our love for God is something of a measure about how far we are from the kingdom of God. That our love for God can be a metric to help us understand how far we are from the kingdom of God. If we get this right, like a silver bullet, it will keep us strong, it will keep us standing firm, it will keep us steady in all of life's storms. Perhaps, as I looked at this passage, one of the most fascinating things that struck me was Jesus in his answer states that amidst all of the various commandments, and, you know, there's some 600-odd, there is an order of importance. That order does exist. There are some that are more important than others. And here's the top one. Here's the one that is right at the top. This surpasses everything else. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, the Shema. The context is right there after the Ten Commandments. It's just before Israel is to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And, and as, as per the book of Deuteronomy, this is kind of Moses' kind of parting gift to the nation. This is his parting instruction. He reminds them of the Ten Commandments. He reminds them even of their failures. He's preparing a people for a journey that he actually won't go on. He's getting them ready. They are going to cross the Jordan River. They are going to go into and, and populate the promised land. They're going to go and fulfill all of God's purposes for them as a nation. And he hands them a silver bullet. And he says, you're going to need this. And the book of Deuteronomy, as it unfolds, is, is Moses' teaching and his words of encouragement that he's going to hold them steady as they, they go on this journey. And in that context, in chapter 6, just after restating the Ten Commandments, he quotes this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength. And as you, as you hear that heart, soul, mind, strength, I wonder tonight which one is the most difficult for you? To love him with all your heart? Love him with all your soul? To love him with all your mind? Or to love him with all your strength? Bron surprised me this morning when we were driving home from church and she said, strength. Just knowing that she's a little bit low on energy and not just because she's got a cold, but, but she just doesn't quite share the same battery that I share. She just knows that, oh, 
sometimes I, I do have to apportion my energy and I kind of find it a bit difficult sometimes. Am I, am I giving God my best? Do I say yes or do I say no? That's a battle for her. Am I loving him with all that I've got? Because she does have to just apportion that out a little bit, a little bit carefully. So it could be strength, but it could be mind. It could be heart or soul. It could be that we like to, to be very careful with our passions and our affections. But the sense here is that how we love God is with everything that we've got, wholeheartedly. Go for it with absolutely everything that you've got. Do not hold anything back. Be wholehearted. God has made the whole person, and therefore love for God should be from the whole person. I wonder what you've ever done, what you could say, I did that with all my heart. I did that wholeheartedly. A particular exam that you really, really wanted to pass. Maybe uh, for some reason, this particular exam would be the key to something very, very important to you. And so you just, you gave it your all. You've never studied for an exam like you studied for that exam. Maybe you went over the top and you read even extra material. You stayed up late and, and drank coffee. That's normal, actually, for some of us. But, but you just gave it everything that you had because this one, was really, really important. I remember that was, that was the case for, for me when after a little bit of a process, I was accepted into the police academy. Um, secondary school and I didn't gel so well. And so when I was accepted to the police academy, there was this little bit of a fear in me that, well, I've never actually really tried at this thing called education. Um, I think it was a frontal lobe thing. It was just taken about another 10 years to develop. But, but then I was all of a sudden had this opportunity in the police academy and I thought, I, I, I think I really want this. And I think I really want it for the right reasons. It's totally surrendered to God. I think this is the mission field he's called me to just for a few years. I think this is where he wants to develop me. I, I, think, I think he's given me a real sense of purpose here. I want to give it my all. And I remember going through the police academy feeling, I can't do this like I just did my secondary schooling. I gotta, I gotta give this a much better shot than that. And um, so I did it wholeheartedly. I just studied as hard as I could. I, I um, uh, tried, to, tried to do it in a healthy kind of a fashion. I, I, I had my bedtime, I had my exercise time, I had my study time, and, and there wasn't an hour of the day that wasn't accounted for in some way. And that was for the three months that, that I was pretty much in lockdown for the police academy. I did it wholeheartedly. I threw everything into that. Imagine if that was the way that you approached a relationship with God. Imagine if he was that exam that you desperately wanted to pass. Imagine if, if he was that one focal point from now for the remainder of your life that he had absolutely captivated your heart, captivated your mind. He was your sole focus, your everything. And with wholehearted devotion, you pursued him. 
That's what Jesus is commanding here. And he says in terms of the Christian life, it's not that complicated. Not really. Just love God with absolutely everything that you have and everything that you are. Just do that. That's all. Just do that. It's the one thing that he commands us to do that is above every other thing. And I guess that leaves us with the question, well, what does, what does the second commandment look like? What's well, like the first? And here on this occasion, Jesus is quoting from Leviticus chapter 6, 4 and 5. And he says the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment that are greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I have heard over the, over the years many explanations for, well, what that means is that even, even as you have a healthy love for yourself, you too should love your neighbor in that way. No, I don't think that's what it's about. Honestly, I think the second commandment is an accommodation for sin. You see, this is... This little portion of scripture here in Leviticus 6 is all about relationships and harmony within God's community. Don't do this to people, make sure you do this to people. Don't do that to people, make sure you do this to people. And when it's all sort of summed up, when it comes to the end, before a declaration, the Lord is God, here is this summary principle. Love your neighbor as yourself. It seems like an accommodation in as much as ultimately you really should love God more than anything else. And if you did that, you'd be good. But that was, that was good for two chapters of Genesis and then it falls over. And we are hopelessly lost in selfishness from that point on. Feels like our love for self and self-preservation has no limit. And so in helping us to understand how to look outside of ourselves to the needs of others. God accommodates us with this command. Well, in the same way that you love yourself, love other people. And that actually won't be as hard as it might sound if the first commandment is the first commandment. If we're loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, our affections will be somewhat drawn from ourselves but when we want to understand how to love other people, we can find the answer to that by desiring their very best in the same way that we naturally desire our own. Philippians 2.4, um, Paul is giving instructions to a church that he dearly loves. And he says, ah, I love you guys, but you can still do more. Make my joy complete, would you? Do this. Have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Love like he loves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Oh, if you do that, you will absolutely make my joy complete and and you as a church community will be 
you will be so blessed. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's the best way to mend, I think, a strained relationship. Don't always think of this in terms of somebody that you love. Or just somebody that you even like. I mean, by all means, do that. Think about that person that you love and think, I am committed to always looking after your best interests. But I think Paul was going outside of that framework, and I think he was also zeroing in on this. Think about that person who you find a bit difficult to get along with. Think about that person with whom, for you, that's a kind of a strained relationship. And have the same attitude as Christ. It'll totally change the way that you approach that situation. If you think about it, you know, are we, are we any different to Adam and Eve when God finds them in the garden and says, well, who told you you were naked? And I said, huh, you know, it's kind of this classic deferral of blame. We can approach life's difficult relationships that way. It's always, huh, but what if instead we put this into practice and we said, well, I wonder what is in that other person's best interests. Let me pursue that. And it will not only, of course, bless you and change your attitude towards that person, but it will bless them as well. That seems to be God's recipe here when he says to love others as yourself. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So it's very, very simple, really. And yet it's so complex that it will take us the rest of our lives to grasp. But it's a worthy pursuit. Love God and love others. These are the greatest commandments. They're right at the top of the list. They're the highest priority for each and every one of us. Because our love for God seems to grant open access to the kingdom of God. When he realizes that the teacher of the law understands the correctness of Jesus' answer, Jesus commends that teacher and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This teacher, in his understanding of the importance of loving God, and then loving others as well, he is very close to the rule of God, the kingdom of God, his proximity to the kingdom is relative to his understanding and appreciation of loving God. Our love for God grants open access to the kingdom of God. When we think about the kingdom of God, we're thinking about the reign of God, the rule of God in our lives. When we love God, we will welcome. It's natural, isn't it? When we love God, we will welcome his rule and his reign into our lives. Therefore, we will have open access to the kingdom, even as the king's reign has open access to us. It's not a new theme. Jesus didn't just come up with this. Relationship with God is... Oh, it's a constant theme throughout Scripture. 
we, we, we get the sense of exactly what God wanted right there in Genesis. This beautiful picture of God in the cool of the evening walking with Adam and Eve. I mean, if you could go back to any event in the scriptures, any event at all, I know there are the spectacular ones. We'd all like to see the party of the Red Sea, wouldn't we? We would all like to. But if you could go back to any particular one, you know what? I'd be cool with settling, with walking with God in the cool of the evening. I'd be okay with that. I'd be very okay with that. A land that was not fallen, a garden that represented everything that that would delight your heart and my heart. There in the very presence of God himself, better is one day in his courts, in his presence at a thousand. Like I would be very okay with that moment. Walking with God in the cool of the evening. It's a picture. It's a beautiful picture. That's how it was meant to be. Now, because of the fall of mankind, that changes. But we still see popping up throughout Scripture, we see these beautiful examples of the grace of God falling upon a particular person at a particular time in a special way. We see, we see Enoch having a walk with God, and his walk was so close with God, so, so in tune with God, so aligned with God, so marked by obedience, he just keeps walking with him one day and disappears. There's no record of his death. Wow cool. Abraham is called the friend of God. Moses spoke with God as a man speaks with somebody face to face. Such such intimacy. David was called a man after God's own heart. He just had God's heart. And so on and so on. And we can... We can get to the New Testament and say, oh, <laughs> but how cool will it be to be one of the disciples there walking the dusty streets with Jesus? Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, Acts chapter 4, those who had arrested Peter and John remark, looking at their courage and boldness, these men had been with Jesus. But they didn't realize it was more than that. They'd not just been with Jesus Jesus now actually dwelt within them through the Spirit of God. Better than being with Jesus, Jesus being within me. That was their experience and that's what people were seeing. That intimacy with God is so much more possible for you and I now than think about it, any Old Testament character. And any moment within the Gospels after Pentecost, after the Spirit of God falls upon his church and falls upon his people, that's, that's the mystery that was hidden throughout the ages. That's what God had promised. That's what everybody longed for. That's the return of an intimacy only seen in Genesis prior to that moment partially fulfilled and waiting to be completely fulfilled. There's a now and not yet component to that, but that's an intimacy that can be yours and mine and it can be ours today. And you don't have to, you don't have to envy any Old Testament character for their relationship with God because everything you've ever desired is possible for you right now. The greatest commandment 
could be your pursuit and is not an aimless pursuit. It's very achievable through the Spirit of God who dwells within you. In um, baseball, with which we're not so familiar, but in our couple of years in the US, we went to a few matches, enjoyed watching the Atlanta Braves lose most of the time. But I did, did pick up a little bit of the game, and, and that was whatever else was happening to get a home run, you had to go through first base. There was no home run without going past first. There had to be a first base. Everything you want to accomplish in baseball rests on somebody getting to first base. Who's on your first base? Who's first in your life? Who's on first? Because if it is anything but God himself, then unfortunately, you've done what we all do, I guess, from time to time. You've rearranged the priorities. The commandments have gotten a little bit mixed up. There's 600-odd stated ones. There's unlimited number of priorities in your and my life that can easily get confused. That's no surprise, but there's a very simple remedy. Push back to number one, the first and the greatest commandment. Make sure that God is absolutely Number one, how? How? Let me make this as practical as I can. Turn with me in, in your Bibles to First John. There is, when we talk about loving God, there is so much talk about what does love mean? Hey, you have to write the book on love. How would you define it? Love is... How would you write the answer to that question? What is love? Uh, so many offerings um, today, aren't there? Love is this, love is that. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Let's see if we can't get a couple of answers here. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, which is a wonderful reassurance. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Well, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. So firstly, we see this close relationship between love and obedience, where, where love is to obey God. That's what love is. But, but now, turn to chapter 2. Let me just read here verses 4 and 5. Whoever says, I know him, still in 1 John, 1 John 2, 4 and 5, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. 
Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. With that, anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So not only is love equated with obedience, but now obedience is equated with love. And if you want your love for God to be made perfect, would you? It's kind of a nice aim, isn't it? If you want your love for God to remain perfect, then obey his word, obey his commands. You want to kind of put a little bit more of a spark into your relationship with God? Obey his word flawlessly. Put it to the test. Have a whole day of saying yes to God, asking what would you have me do in this situation? What would you have me do in this situation? Let him lead you and guide you. Endeavor to obey him and love will be made complete in you. And secondly, just to make it really, really practical as well. Um, seems to me for the person or for the church that refuses to touch the glory of God, there is no limit to what God will do through them. Notice over here the glory, um, the glory of God. Is, is the result of, of a fruitful life that comes through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. It all starts with Jesus, but the truth is it finished with Jesus, and there's a reason why the, the word glory is closest to the cross. It's all about God's. It belongs to God, and we don't touch it. If we truly love God, we will be passionate about his glory, and we won't touch the glory. I would say, a reworking of a phrase by D.L. Moody, the world is yet to see what God would do through one person who refuses to touch the glory of God. There's no limit to what God will do through a person or through a church that refuses to touch his glory. If you're passionate about God, if you love God, then you will be all about his glory, all about his glory, and you'll never try to take possession of it. That sounds kind of like a bit of a funny thing, doesn't it? But I promise you it's true. There's no limit to what God will do through you if you will just outright refuse to ever take God's glory. And I think there are special things in line for the person, the church that does it. I'd love that to be a little bit of our mantra. I don't know, what could we come up with? Something like, ah, Soli Teo Gloria? That'd be cool. (laughs) Yeah, let it be, Jesus. You want to put a spark into your relationship with God? Obey him. Because obedience and love for God are one and the same. Want to put a spark in your relationship with God? Seek his glory. Don't touch it. Don't take it for yourself. Want to put a spark in your relationship with with God? Discover again how much he loves you. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Let me finish by praying a very, very special prayer of pause over the church in Ephesus. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, of course. 
And many of you are familiar with the verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we might ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you know that one? That's a cool verse, isn't it? God's powerful. Yep, he is, he is. What's that in the context of, though? Do you know what that is in the context of? He has power to enable you to know just how much he loves you. That's the context. Unlimited power, unimaginable power, immeasurable power is available to you to help you comprehend how much God loves you. We love because he first loved us. Amen.